If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're finishing a series today, Jonas and I are, called Going Places. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know we've been tracking through the book of Exodus from the place when the people of God left Egypt, left their slavery, and slowly but surely made their way into the wilderness where they would eventually arrive at Mount Sinai. And we've been tracking the places that they have been. And in each one of these places, we've learned something important about God and really about us as people. Uh, just to recap the stops on the road trip, they left Egypt out of their slavery. And one of the first places they stopped was a place called the Well of Mara, the Well of Mara, which means the bitter well. I mean, three days out of Egypt and they're thirsty, no place to get any water to drink. And God does something miraculous. Yes, there is a well there, but it's bitter, it's undrinkable, and God makes the water sweet. So that some 750,000, maybe as high as 3 million people could have water uh, to their plenty. Well, we moved on from the well of Mara and went a little further in, about three months in. Now they're in a place called the wilderness of sin. Not sin like we've done something wrong, but the wilderness of sin, which is the precursor to the Sinai. And they're out there now three months on the journey and they're hungry. And God does something miraculous again. God causes manna, the dew of the ground, to be transformed into a flaky substance that they could eat. He makes bread out of the dew of the ground. And they eat it to their fill. And God even designed a plan so that they would gather six days a week, plenty to eat. And on the sixth day, they would gather a double portion so that they didn't have to gather on the seventh day. But God would have provided still the same. Well, that's three months into the journey. Another few weeks in, they finally find themselves into a place called the Camp of Rephidim. This is further in the wilderness. And again, no water, absolutely nothing to drink. And so God calls Moses to take a rock and crack it or to strike it and a burst of water comes forth to just bring water to this people. Yet again, God has provided and then the last two weeks, we've been on the edge of Mount Sinai, right in the wilderness, right at the base of the mountain. And God descended in fire and in smoke, and it trembles the mountain and trembles the people such that they hear the very voice of God in the thunder and in the lightning. And God gives what we know are the Ten Commandments. The first ten laws or commands that will become his covenant with his people, the guidelines and the directives that God has for them. Well, that was where we finished last week, God giving the law, the commands. And if we would continue in Exodus, we would find that they will eventually leave Sinai, they will eventually leave the mountain base, and for the next 40 years, they're just going to wander around. I mean, it's like driving with no map, no GPS, no directions, and they're just going to kind of swirl and swirl and swirl about. And eventually, if we would continue traveling with them, they're actually going to make their way all the way over into the edge of the promised land. 
But because of some choices they made, because of some judgments that God placed upon them, a whole generation is going to have to die out before they enter into the promised land. And that is going to include someone who's been with them the whole time. The one person who will sustain with them from the point of slavery all the way up to the edge of the promised land is Moses. And while we've studied God's people over the last few weeks, we've bypassed really thinking about Moses, really thinking about the leader of this movement, the leader of this people, the hero of the Old Testament. If Jesus is the hero of the Bible, which we believe he is, Moses is the hero of the Old Testament. But sometimes when we think about all the ebbs and flows of his life, all the good seasons and even the bad seasons, we sometimes make him into something like a superhero and miss the fact that he was simply a man. I want to ask a little question and see if you can help me out. When you hear Moses or think about Moses, most often one of four pictures come to mind. One of four visions or images come to mind. Let me take you to the screen here. You have the baby in the basket. You have the prince of Egypt. You have the crosser of the Red Sea, you know, the Moses with the big beard. And maybe one that you wouldn't think is the Moses looking into the promised land, but not entering it himself. Now, I'd like us to vote. I'd like us to have a little crowd participation here. Of those four images, I want you to vote with your fingers, one, two, three, and four, which one you would have thought of first when I introduced Moses. And we're going to do these all together. Oh, oh you want to vote right now. I like this South Wilson crew. Y'all are engaged. Y'all ready to go. Now, let's do it one at a time so that we can kind of get a sense of the room. How many of you, when I mentioned Moses, your mind quickly, number one, went to the baby in the basket? Any baby in the basket, folks? Oh, okay. Well, the first part of the sermon needs to be scratched out now because we're going to talk a little bit about the baby in the basket. What about number two, the, the prince of Egypt? Okay, a few of you, the prince of Egypt, excellent. How many of you, the crosser of the Red Sea? Number three, the crosser of the great uh, waterway. Okay, and how many, number four, the, the man who never got into the promised land? Well, those are going to be the four stops we're going to make this morning. The baby in the basket, the prince of Egypt, the crosser of the Red Sea, and the one who never quite entered in. And instead of reading those passages and those parts of Moses' life in the Old Testament, we're actually going to read them in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we know there is this great chapter called the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of those chapters in the New Testament that gives reference to an enormous number of Old Testament saints who lived by faith, tremendous faith, God-honoring faith over the long periods of their life. Uh, the actual chapter begins in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 and 2, describing faith. The scripture says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, for by faith, the people of old received their 
commendation. By faith, the people of old received their reward. In the Old Testament, the way a person came to Christ, because Jesus had not yet come, or the way that they were saved was by faith in God, by faith in God's work in their life and by faith in God's presence in their life. And while Jesus had not yet come to the Old Testament saints, they were saved by faith in God. And faith here, as described in Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the assurance, the confidence of things hoped for. The conviction or the absolute assurance of things that you can't even see. Now Moses is described as a man of faith. He's described as someone who had an assurance of things hoped for in a conviction and evidence of things that he could not fully see. Let's read what the author of Hebrews writes about Moses specifically. Look down in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. Hebrews 11, verse 23. The scripture says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the riches, excuse me, rather than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Just five verses in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that is given to Moses. But in each of those verses, there is some reference to faith. And I want to speak about faith today. I want to speak about your faith and my faith. I want to speak to you about what it means to have faith that endures the long distance. What it means to have faith in God when you even have to believe things that you cannot see and trust in things that don't always present themselves in evidence here on this earth. And what it means to have faith even when you're looking forward to something that seems unlikely or improbable, but your faith in God assures you that the reward is greater than the circumstances and the battles and the struggles you're in today. And we can look at Moses as a man going places. We can look at Moses as a man who had faith. But actually it begins a little before Moses' faith. And begins with his parents' faith. You see, first stop, the baby in the basket. I want to share with you that Moses began in a house of faith. He began in a house of faith. Verse 23 is actually referencing Moses' faith, but it's really pointing to Moses' parents' faith. Look at verse 23 again. By faith, 
when he was born, Moses was hidden for three months by his parents. Three months. They got this little baby boy hidden in their home. Now, the baby in the basket is when we think about Moses being pushed down the Nile River in a little thatched basket, tar and pitch, and his sister runs along the edge, making sure that it's okay. Uh, Exodus chapter 6 actually names Moses' parents. Amram was his dad. Joshebed was his mom. Uh, and Amram, the dad, was actually one of the Levites. He actually had part of the priestly order. And most of their life, if not all of their life, had been in slavery, had been in the shackles under Egyptian slavery. Amram and Joshabed had other children. Miriam, I mentioned, the sister of Moses. Aaron, the brother of Moses. They got kids, three at least named, maybe others. And they're all living under the hard oppression of Pharaoh and the slave masters. And an edict goes down. A command by Pharaoh that all male children of a certain age be put to death. They tried to move on the handmaidens or the nursemaidens so that whenever the babies were being born, they would kill them just upon birth. But somehow the Hebrew women knew how to give birth faster than anybody else. And they were having babies faster than when the nurses could arrive. And so the children were starting to live. And so another edict had been given. And look, look at the parallels between the Moses, the, the world that Moses was born into and Often the connection with the world that Jesus was born into when Herod gave the same command for male children of a certain age be killed in and around Bethlehem. And where does baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary flee to? In, they go to Egypt. And where does Moses and eventually his people leave and go to? They eventually go to the promised land. But Joshebed and Amram are his parents, and they are parents of faith. I mean, how many of you, boys and girls, you have children in your home, grandchildren in your home, how many of us would put a three-month-old in a basket down the Ohio River? I mean, it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, it's maybe a slower death than murder but it's still going to result in the same thing. The baby can drown. The baby can get tipped. The baby can become a granola bar for an alligator. I don't know. I mean, there could be several terrible things happening. And yet, by faith, Amram, Joshabed, pushes the baby down the river, knowing that by faith, God who controls the universe controls the river. And that God, by his creative hand makes all things under his sovereign authority and if God can control the currents and control the animals he can control the basket and where does the baby flow right up into right up to the place where Pharaoh's daughter is bathing and Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket and he sees the boy and he is a good-looking little fella just as the verse tells us and she takes him into his home oh and then just the beauty of this passage and then Miriam, who's just over in the weeds, goes, by the way, ma'am, you need somebody to feed him? Oh, yes, yes, I need someone to feed him. I know just the lady. And who does she go get? She goes, gets Joshabed, his mama. That was my attempt at female vocaling, a little humor, a little high, a little pitchy. But the God of the universe sovereignly 
kept Moses safe, kept Moses then in a place of health and prosperity. He's now going to live in the palace. And by faith, his mother is even able to provide the nursing that he needs to grow before he can live outside their home. By faith, by faith, they were assured of things hoped for and the conviction of things that could not be seen. Friends, when we walk with God, we walk not by sight, but by faith. And there are things that we're going to have to walk with the Lord in that won't make a lot of human sense or make a lot of practical sense or maybe not even common sense. But when we walk by faith, we're trusting not what we can see, but what God can do. And we all must walk by faith. Moses grew up in a house of faith. God sustained that baby in a basket. This isn't the only place where faith would come forth. Forty years after that takes place, 40 years in the palace, and there came a day when Moses decided to move out of the palace. Uh, any of you got some 40-year-olds that need to move out of the house? Don't answer that. Let's leave that one alone for a moment. 40 years he's in the palace. That's pretty common. He's growing up in the house of luxury. But at some point, Moses changes his mind. He changes his outlook on his future. By faith, verse 24 of Hebrews 11 says, And when Moses had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, there was some change in his life. Forty years in the palace, 40 years as an Egyptian, 40 years as the prince of Egypt and the luxury that that provided. 40 years probably speaking the Egyptian language, 40 years probably studying Egyptian history, 40 years seeing all the Hebrews in suffering, but not identifying with them. And the scripture tells us that when he has grown, he changes his mind by faith. Now, the, the book of Exodus doesn't necessarily give us all the details of when this took place. Uh, the book of Exodus describes Moses as one, the prince of Egypt. And the next episode is when he sees an Egyptian slave master killing a Hebrew, whipping a Hebrew, and he chooses to fight back. And he kills a man with his bare hands. But there is some space, some space between the prince of Egypt and the one who's running from the land where his mind had changed, where he no longer identified as Egyptian, but identified with the truth. It says in verse 25 that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God, connecting with the people of God, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Uh, friends, he had to move out of the palace. There had to be a choice. And when we walk by faith, we will face choices where we have to move out of an old way of living to walk by faith in a new light with Christ. There are choices we have to make. There are hard choices. You can't always stay in the comfortable lap of the past when you know God is calling you into something that is more in his will or under his commands. Sometimes you got to choose. Sometimes you got to go by faith and say, that is 
past life. That is old life. That is the way without God. But I'm going to go with God by faith. Jesus describes it this way in Matthew chapter 7. He says in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, not all decisions are black and white. Not all decisions are right or wrong. But when God's spirit prompts you in your conscience and in your soul that tells you the life you're living is not honorable to God, it's not in alignment with God's commands, and that is confronting you with the fleeting pleasures of sin, you can choose by faith to stay there or you can choose by faith to move out. Moses had to move out. He had to leave what was easy and follow God, which was certainly much harder. Friends, let me ask you, are there things in your life that you know, 100% know, that God's Spirit has indicated to you, you need to leave behind, you need to let go of? And will you walk by faith through that narrower gate? It's harder. It can be more difficult. It's far less easy. But it's where you know it leads to life. You see, Moses had to move out of the palace. He had to follow God. And I think there is a reason for that. I think there is a reason for him leaving. And it certainly is told in the book of Exodus that he leaves and he goes down into the wilderness and he's going to be there for another 40 years as a shepherd under the leadership of his father-in-law Jethro. He's going to be under the leadership of serving as a shepherd of Midian. I mean, no palace, no luxury, no lifestyle that looked anything like Egypt. And then at some point, Exodus chapter 3, he's going to meet God. He's going to meet the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's going to meet him in an extraordinary way where the bush is going to be burning and speaking and yet not consumed. And Moses is going to have an encounter with God that's going to then result in God telling him, you're going back to Egypt, but this time not as a prince. You're going back this time as a deliverer, as a rescuer as an Old Testament version of a Messiah, the Christ. And the scripture tells us in Hebrews that Moses saw someone greater. He saw someone greater. There was something that compelled him to go back, something that compelled him to do that next thing in his life. And the scripture says this in verse 26, and he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Uh, men and women, brothers and sisters, I have struggled with this verse for years because I'm a linear thinker, you know, A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four. You start from this side, you go to that side. And what this verse indicates, watch me here, follow with me. What this verse indicates is that Moses 
some five, 6,000 years before Jesus arrives is seeing something that's coming five, 6,000 years in advance. I mean, that doesn't make mathematical or linear sense to me. It kind of sounds like something only God could do. It doesn't sound like time and space in our understanding. It sounds like time and space in God's understanding. And that Moses somehow, somehow in the Old Testament, in his seeing God in the burning bush and seeing God then commanding him to go back to Egypt and seeing him given the command to lead the people out, that Moses is seeing some picture of Jesus Christ coming in a future glorious state that Moses will be like a Jesus or like the Christ leading people out of freedom. But there is one who is coming who will lead all people out of the fleeting trap of sin, who will lead all people by faith out of an old way of life into new hope, who will lead all people who will trust him out of their slavery and into the promise that God has for them. Moses is seeing something that I can't see, that I'm not so sure any of us could see, but Moses, some five, 6,000 years ago, even before Jesus, is seeing Christ exalted and Christ coming. Doesn't that do something to you? Maybe it's just to me. But it's a picture of God's glorious work in time and space that when we see the reward it sustains us by faith. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, some of you know I work over at Campbellsville University. My wife and I are both teachers in the School of Theology there. Uh, and a few weeks ago, it was kind of the start of school, and one of the things that a team that I lead, it's the little recruiting team for online students, we decided to do a team-building activity. And so we were going to go over to the Mammoth Cave area, over around Cave City, and do an eight-mile kayak trip right there in the National Park. Eight miles. Oh, no bigs. You know, three, four hours in a little kayak. I was pretty excited about it. We scheduled it, got it all planned. What I failed to notice was that I also agreed to the men's retreat, which was the very next day, but I didn't get the dates right. I got them confused. And the men's retreat was to do nine miles kayaking in a different part of the Green River. Yeah, do the math with me here. Eight miles on Thursday in a kayak, nine miles on Friday in a kayak. 17 miles, these little puny arms rode in two days. Uh, Last Sunday at church, we were trying to clap and I was clapping like this. Because I couldn't even raise my arms up to clap. I was like, yay, I love this song. Uh, It was just pain, just dreary pain in my shoulders. 17 hours in a kayak. Or not 17 hours, it felt like that. 17 miles in a kayak over two days. But in that second trip, and I I have to say, mile two and three, I was doing okay. Four and five, I'm starting to hurt. Six and seven, I'm getting angry. And I still gotta go eight and nine before I'm out of this water. And as much as I love the students that were kayaking with us and the other folks, I mean, I didn't wanna talk to anybody. I wanted out of this canoe. I was done in this, this river. But the fellow who helped us put in told us one thing. He said, listen, it's a pretty long, pretty long route, nine miles. It's gonna take you about five hours if you just kind of trawl along. There's some low spots. He said, but when you hear cars or trucks, Be ready because you're almost out. 
because there's going to be a bridge that cuts over the river. And when you hear traffic, you're about a mile away. And when you see the bridge, you're less than a quarter of a mile away and you know you're getting out. Well, so I'm in mile eight and I mean, I'm just just going. I'm, I'm probably saying things that I shouldn't announce here. I'm just kind of just plowing along. But then I hear this big diesel truck. And I think, oh, there's a truck going by. What did the fellow tell me? When you hear, when you hear something, be ready. And then I came around this little bin and I'm rolling with some guys here that uh, we're kind of, uh, we're watching, taking care of. And we see the bridge. We see the bridge. And I don't know what happened, but I didn't care about these guys. I didn't care about anybody behind me. I just started plowing. I mean, I was in the game now. All of a sudden, man, I heard the truck. I saw the bridge. I got a half mile, maybe a little bit to go. And I mean, new energy, new stamina. I mean, I, my arms are feeling light again. I'm, you know, I'm feeling good. And I mean, I just zoomed into the ending of that kayak trip. It was because I saw the reward. Getting out of this boat was right ahead. Getting out of this river was just right up there. I heard it first and then I saw it. Second, friends, when we think about the reward that's to come, we first have heard that God has a place prepared for all of us. And when we see it, when we see it, when we see Christ, when we see him crucified, when we see him promise do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. John 14, one through five. For in my Father's house are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may also be. And Thomas said, Lord, where are you going? Show us the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. When we see Christ as crucified and resurrected, when we hear his promise of a reward that's to come, friends, by faith, we can row further. We can go further. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through two mentions this. This is the chapter that follows the hall of faith where the scripture says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with what? Endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? Who are we looking to? Looking to Jesus, the author and founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, when we look to Jesus, when we look to our Savior, when we look to our Lord, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's how our faith is compelled. Moses' parents put the baby in the basket by faith. Moses left the palace by faith. Moses saw someone greater and that compelled his faith. Well, let me close. I might invite the praise team just to come join me here, if y'all are ready. Because Moses, as I mentioned earlier, got right up to the edge 
of the promised land with the people, but he wasn't allowed in. He didn't get to go in. He didn't get to enter into the promise that he led the people for some 80 years to to the edge of. But Deuteronomy chapter 34, in my opinion, is one of the most compassionate, it's one of the most promising passages of the entire Old Testament. For while Moses saw what he would never enter, God cared for him in his very last moment. I want to take you by video to Mount Nebo, which is in modern-day Jordan. And it's the thing that Moses' eyes last saw. It's the thing that his eyes would have looked upon moments before he breathed his last. And I want to let you see what he saw, but even more importantly, recognize what God did for this man of faith up to the very end. Let's take a look at that. We're standing on the edge of the Mount Nebo viewing deck, and you can see the valley. According to Deuteronomy 34, Moses was buried in the valley of Moab. This could be one of those valleys just off of the mountaintop. Reading from Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 8. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes was undimmed and his valor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Moses dies not getting in. But the scripture says at 120 years... His eyes were undimmed and his valor unabated. What that simply means is from that moment, he still had faith. He still had faith that God was going to take care of him. Ultimately, he would never enter the promised land. He would see it, but never enter. But his faith was never undimmed. His faith was never wavering until the very end. His faith was strong. And the scripture tells us that the Lord buried him. It's the only place in the Bible where God himself lays someone to rest. Where that place is, we'll never know. I don't think we'll ever have the ability to find Moses' bones or find the burial chamber that Moses was placed in. But God himself took his servant and buried him in a place 
around that mountain. And I believe in the instantaneous moment between his last breath on this side and his first awakening on that side, the God who laid him to the rest was also the God who raised him up. And that's where Moses is. He may not have been in the earthly promised land, but he is in his heavenly home. And we will see him one day if we know Christ. We will meet Moses if we know Jesus. That we too have that promise. And it's by faith. By faith for the endurance. By faith for the long term. By faith from the beginning of our walk with Christ until the very end. And when your faith is weakened or somehow the life that we live causes your faith to be chipped away. I encourage you to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That's where faith is strengthened. Maybe this morning you would say, my faith is taking its, taking its beating. My faith feels weak. My faith feels somehow less than it should be or less than it maybe it once was I invite you today to look to Jesus for the strengthening of your faith and may it be said that you too when this last breath on this earth is taken you will have confidence in the God who will wake you to the next life because of your faith can I have you bow your heads with me we're going to have a time of response and as always, this is a place where you can come and lay your burdens before the Lord. This is always a place where you can come and cry out to the God of the universe to strengthen your faith, to give you a renewed faith. This is the place where if you need to trust Jesus for the very first time, we would love to show you how by walking you through what the Bible says about sin and repentance and faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Are you full of faith today? So God, we come to you now in this time of response and reflection. And I pray if there be any person here that needs to make a decision for you, that needs to lay something at your feet, that needs to surrender something to you in their life, that today through your spirit you would lead so that we can trust you more by faith. Let us now respond appropriately to the Spirit who calls us all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.